Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. I'm your host, David Lewis, and here is where we talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth. And if you want to drive growth, it pretty much means you got to take risk. You can't just do things the same and expect change. I don't know if that was Einstein, but that is a version of a very famous quote. And I, what's interesting about my own personality, I love change. I embrace change, and I love innovation. I've always been a technology geek ever since I was like 12 years old and discovered a computer. So I always thought like, hey, if I can come up with stuff in my head and learn how to code it and make it, wow, I can change the world. I can innovate. And that has been part of my entire life, entire career. And it's one of the reasons that I got involved in digital services and helping people with the methods and technologies for driving growth. So recently I was at the annual partner conference for BDO Digital in Florida. And one of my teammates and I did a stage presentation along with one other team member. And it was really at that event that we thought, let's continue this conversation and bring what we're doing around innovation and modernizing businesses here on the podcast. And what I hope you guys get out of this session, what I think you're gonna get out of this session is just that extra nudge, that extra piece of confidence that maybe you need to take risk and to bring some innovation to your organization. All right, let's do it. Kirsty Tiernan, how are you? Good, how are you? I am excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Kirsty. Kirsty and I, like I said, we were in Florida, uh, but hey, that's just one of the many times we work together. We work together day by day. Um, Kirsty leads a group that she created inside the organization, which we'll talk to called BDO Digital Labs. And she also runs our data and analytics practice. So. Kirsty, and you've been at BDO Digital for how long? Uh, 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. What was your yeah, first, first role when you got here? I was the first 100% uh, kind of dedicated person focused on data analytics. I remember when I came in, there was one other person doing access databases, and I was I was the the person to kind of help take over all of that. And it was, it was coming fast and heavy, and it was exciting, and we were doing a lot of it under litigation support. But it was all around data analytics and a lot of investigations work. And it, it just expanded from, from there. Really got in on, on it early and had quite the last decade plus. Well, congratulations on a phenomenal career here. And you know, when I first met you, um, talk about how we, how we show up. You were, you were just chatting with me a little bit before we hit the record button. Um, I figured I'd share it with you here. You have energy. You have passion you have conviction, and you, I think, something we very much share in common, you love innovation. You love trying new things and doing new things. And you have a pretty fearless attitude as well, which is, I think you've learned throughout your career that the very worst thing that can happen is your idea is not a raging success and, and you'll fail forward and try the next thing. So we should we should chat about that a little bit. Let's Let's start, though, with innovation. Like, why is it part of your makeup? Why are you always looking for something new to either bring to the business or bring to our clients? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I was kind of born with that passion for change too. Like you said, I, I just love when there is change. I mean, you can shake things up and that, that gets me kind of excited about what, what new opportunities might arise. But 
I've always been one of those those people that can't quite sit down, sit still for long. <laughs> and so change gives me all these new opportunities to to be entertained with something new and try to drive change in, in some new element or try to do something that other people haven't done before. I think that's that's really what excites me. I'm one of those people that can take something new and get it going and then move on. I don't mm -hmm. have to finish anything, but I love to start things. And I love to be on the, the beginning and the origination of those kinds of things. For someone who's been at, at this company, which is, you know, BDO Digital is a company within a company, if you will, right? We're well over 500 people. And in fact, I guess when, when you were here, um, you, you were here before digital was even, BDO Digital was even a thing. And we had uh, SWC and, you know, we keep it growing and expanding the business. And one of the areas that you recently added to our mix was adding AI as a service uh, to the business. And what's we're seeing AI everywhere now show up from AI generated art to all kinds of applications in hardware, software, and our life. And you said we should offer AI as a service. Now, what I'd love to do before we describe like why you came up with that and why you feel the world needs AI as a service, what happens with you that you wake up one day or days and you go, this is something new that I think we should bring to the organization and, and to the market? Hmm. You know, I, I don't know. It, there's, there's a lot of different inspiration. I think at BDO, it's been really exciting because there's always a changing market whether it's a regulatory change or some kind of tax rule change or um, something within advisory in the you know 300 plus services we have there's always some new opportunity that has a very niche focus right and whether it's you know this specific thing is happening in manufacturing or this tax credit incentive is happening in you know life sciences there's there's a lot of opportunity to build things quickly that are needed by a lot of people where there's not a lot of competition. Mm -hmm. um, if you have that innovative, you know, kind of ability to rally within a firm like ours, bring experts in and make something happen quickly. That's always been really exciting to me. And BDO has always had that opportunity in this type of environment to do that. What, what advice would you give for someone like if they have an idea, you've gotten really good at taking your ideas and bringing them not only into a boardroom, but but to market. And I, I would think a lot of people listening to this uh, woke up and came to work today to do the things that are on their to-do list, to participate in the meetings that are on their calendar, uh, and to get their work done and, and do a good job doing it. And then there are people like you who come to work, today's Monday for us, by the way, happy Halloween. And, and you're gonna do those things too, but I know that you spend cycle time thinking about how we improve our customer experience, how we innovate new services. You're looking at the market and seeing, like you said, everything from regulatory changes to technology changes and looking at how to uh, you know, bring that uh, into the business. So do you, do you proactively put time on the calendar? Yeah, that, that's, it's hard, right? So you get, I, I have two different places where I tend to come up with ideas and I usually come up with the wildest ideas in these two places. It's usually, at 12, 12 a.m., right? I've got, finally, I've got time. Kids are in bed. I've, you know, done all my tasks and I've got like this 12 to 3 a.m. time period. I don't, maybe I created that whole habit in college, but I think really creatively from like 12 to 3 a.m. if I'm by myself and I've just got 
um, the ability to think. And then the other time is when I'm in a plane. Maybe this is yeah. some kind of phenomenon. It's not just me, but I have the ideas that I put on on my phone on a plane. And maybe too, that's because you have the space to think, right? It's right in between that time where you don't, you can't get on the internet because you hit it 15 times and it's still not showing up, right? Because you're you're still taking off, but you have nothing else to do. You have the Netflix downloaded episodes, but other than that, you have time to actually sit and think. Yeah. And if I can pull out, you know, a notepad and actually just start kind of writing down things, I'll have some some gr- really wild ideas come out and some that I kind of work through, but I've always kind of figured out that I need people to buy into my ideas to know whether they're a thing or not. So one of the avenues, I guess, or methods that I've used over the years is to be able to say, if I've got an idea, I have a few friendlies, right? My close network of people that I know I can run those ideas by. And I can say, what do you think of this? And then within the team, if that's something I really want to push on, I need to have someone else that becomes just as passionate about it as me that will take it to to the rest of the team or take it to market with me. And that's kind of how I use uh, the ability to gauge my ideas. So I don't don't go too far with something that's not thought through, but I've got someone else too that can help me execute. Because the other big problem with ideas people is we've got lots of ideas and we're not great at sitting down and working through the details. Yeah. So I, yeah, I tend to really buddy up with those people that can help me execute and can also kind of gauge whether that's a really good idea or not. For sure. There was a, a book um, called uh, Rocket Fuel, and it was by the guys who came up with um, EOS, which is the Entrepreneur's Operating System. So when I started my company, Demand Gen, which later became part of BDO Digital, but for that first 14 years, when you look at the life cycle of a company, which I think this relates to the life cycle of a department, um, yeah, it, it's not just for a company, you go from the early idea stage, you know, the adolescent to teenager to adult. And what happens is there's this point where an organization can be held back what they call the founder's trap because the original ideas that got you to this place, that got you this far, but you got to go further and the founder may not see the big idea that the trains didn't see that they were in the transportation business and, and didn't get into airplanes, right? They stayed where it were a train business. And, and maybe that made sense back then. But to use the example, you need someone to really think outside the box. But what this book really talked about is that there are, there are vision oriented people, and there are execution oriented people. And it talked about that, you know, that's why there's often a CEO and a COO, or, you know, a head of marketing has some type of chief of staff or a marketing operations person, you know, someone else who's really good uh, at, at taking the ideas and putting them into practice. I know that when I was at Ellie Mae, uh, Felicia Egan, shout out to Felicia, who's now at Workday, she was that person for me. We would think big and dream big and how we're gonna do these marketing programs and how we're gonna do these user conferences. And she would take those ideas and break them into bite-sized chunks uh, and make it happen. Um, and what's interesting about Felicia is when I first brought the idea of marketing automation to her, she was not naturally a technologist. So it's interesting that you talk about bringing your ideas to other people. You got to know your audience because when I brought the idea of us bringing in so much digital technology and she was more from a print physical aspects of marketing, um, display advertising and, and commercials and TV, uh, I was moving her away from that normal place of comfort for her into this area. And we've seen so much 
uh, in terms of MarTech and sales tech. So for you, you know, if if you go to people with your idea, what how do you react when they're? I mean, not only do you need the execution arm, but also this brain trust that you have. What happens when they all tell you like, oh, Kirsty, I don't know if that's a good idea. I get, I totally will catch myself going to certain people that I know will have a good reaction, right? And then I have to kind of you know, get get brave and take it to that person that I know is going to give me that true feedback. And as long as you've got both of those parties in, involved in your ideas and you can handle that and you can work and fail forward from that, you'll, you'll be good. But it's not easy. I don't I don't take criticism very well, just like most people, right? So and when, when someone tells you your idea isn't great, it, it can be rough. But the faster you can get to a point of being able to self-evaluate those ideas and also take in that criticism, criticism from others, the faster those ideas will move forward or yeah. change to be something that can be yeah. uh, really great. An important lesson I learned is, I remember when we started the practice and maybe it was like three years in, don't exact time frame, but early on, we were primarily an Eloqua professional services shop. This is way before Oracle had bought Eloqua and they were the 800 pound gorilla. And we were helping people with the use and adoption of Eloqua. Well, all of a sudden this new company starts coming on the scene, Marketo, which starts to pick up some momentum in SMB, not a market that we were primarily in. And I went to one of the guys that I really trust and respect. Very, very, very smart guy. And I said, we need to expand the business into Marketo. I realized early on as our founder that we were in the business if we want to make marketing heroes, which was the mission, we are in the business of helping them with whatever tools and technologies they're going to use and need our help with. That was aligned perfectly in, in my vision. But to him, he was a strong naysayer. Uh, and I want to just quickly fast forward to the end of the story. I ended up firing him. I don't know if it was a year later or what have you. But in this particular story, and he's a really smart guy, we just had a fundamental difference opinion of where the business was going to go. And as the founder, an owner, I was like, it's it's going to go this way, whether I'm right or wrong, because what I learned is he had uh, a lot of insecurities about us bringing in a technology that he wasn't familiar with. If you're the smartest guy in the room and this is what you know how to do, it was actually, I think, a bit of a threat and scary to him to have to deliver new services to clients that he knew at that time nothing about. So it was a valuable lesson to me is sometimes your brain trust is internalizing the fight or flight instinct for them is, well, what is Kirsty's idea gonna mean for me personally or for organization, what's the risk? Um, so even though I ask smart people, sometimes you might get that. And that was that was tough for me. I mean, this was a guy that, you know, I had worked with prior and, and brought in and well, we had some just heart to heart conversations and fundamentally different, di didn't agree. Have you ever done something where you feel like you're really taking the company or an area in a trajectory and wow, if this is a really bad decision, um, what does that mean? Because I'd like to then unpack what did it mean? And, and was that heavy, heavy decision as heavy as it felt at the time? Well, I remember uh, probably one of my worst ideas that I was pretty passionate about was this idea. I came from the fraud investigation world. I was doing data analytics there when I first started. And I thought it would be a really great idea to offer a service that allows you to try to commit fraud within the company, right? So the idea was kind of like network penetration testing to be able to say, okay, if I can commit fraud within the company using a couple of key players that shouldn't be able to, and I can come back to you with a check that I was able to extract from your company fraudulently, 
that would be a really great service. And I could show you where your weaknesses and where your controls are, are lacking, right? Mm-hmm. So we took a friendly, a CFO, and I had called him and asked him if we could do this at, at his company. And he's, he said, sure, try it, right? Go ahead and see what happens. And I had not thought through anything beyond that. I had not thought through the fact that I'm going to have to get his head of internal audit to get on board with me and commit this fraud, right? So I'm going to have to give her certain, almost a persona, right? And we have to, we'll have to work through the system and try to commit fraud. It didn't occur to me that she's probably not going to be comfortable lying to her coworkers and trying to commit fraud when no one else knows what's happening, mm-hmm. even though her boss did, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I just had not thought through some of those very key aspects of a new offering like that. And once I realized she was not going to get on board, you know, then we, we definitely uh, took that to the, the fail forward graveyard and moved on. But and that was kind of a, it was, it was, it almost becomes a little embarrassing when you have those bad ideas. Cause you're like, I really felt like there was something there. And then you realize you didn't think it through because sometimes we just, as ideas people, we don't have the ability to maybe sit and think fully about it. We want to get it going and see what happens, right? Yeah. That's kind of more the approach. And so it does become a little embarrassing when you see that work out and you're like, oh, you're right. You know, I didn't even think that far ahead and yeah. I wish I would have gotten one step further. So there's a lot of times where I'll take an idea and I'll kind of draft it out. But then once I'm really comfortable with it and I really want to take it to that next step, I'll put together a plan. And that plan is usually painful for me to sit down and write, but it forces me to really think through a couple of those easy areas to identify yeah. where the might be fails. I've, I've had to teach my team to learn like David speak because like you, I'm, I'm an ideas guy. I am an in- innovator and you have to be to be an entrepreneur. And so I would teach them Dave speak. I would just, anybody who works for me, I would say, if I bring an idea up three times, it's something actually I want to do. It's not just an idea for me anymore. I'm just finding different ways to convince you that we should do it. Or I'm bringing it up again because we haven't started yet and I want to make sure it's still top of mind. And so as soon as people, they know like, oh, well, even if it's, I'm like, hey, we should do an offsite next month, get the team together. And they're like, okay. And then if I bring it up again, they're like, and then they're, oh, he's really saying he wants to do an offsite with the team. So we should do that because that that's David speak for where it's actually, he's just asking for someone to help figure this out and get it done uh, at this point. But I would, you know, there's lots of ideas that, that folks like you and I um, have. I, when I was early in my career, 22 years old, I was working for Microsoft. My boss was Diane Ackerman. Don't know where she is these days, but this is back before there was a Windows office or even a suite. We sold Word, we sold Excel, and we sold PowerPoint PowerPoint as separate applications. Each one $395 to $495 back in the day. Uh, and we sold Windows as a separate application. So we used to have to go to companies and go, buy Windows, by Word, by Excel, by PowerPoint, long sales cycles to get people to change off Lotus 1-2-3, WordPerfect, and all the incumbents at the time. So I said to her over lunch, I said, hey, Diane, have we ever thought of like bundling all this stuff together and just, you know, selling it? I was, I was thinking about writing an email that like we should just try to come up with a bundle this because then I could go to these companies and show them, you know, this, this set of tools and then they could just decide whether they want the set of tools, whether each individual tool. And she told me something that I never forgot, which... I was like, hmm. She goes, you know, Dave, you have clever ideas. Um, make sure you bring them to me before you ever share them with anyone else. And I was like, ooh. It was to me, it was like, welcome to big company. How how did you, Christy, especially your career history at 
BDO and BDO Digital now get to become someone that the organization trusts to take your ideas and do something with it. If you try to peel that apart, because again, I think people listening to this episode, I want them to take a risk and do something that they haven't done that's a little out of their comfort zone because we all can, let alone change the world, I mean, have an impact on our lives and our and our businesses, uh, families, friends, what have you. So what what do you do? Yeah, it's, it's hard because too, you, you get a couple pushbacks, right? Or even if you hit up against a political wall or something like that, you're like, oh, you know, they didn't like my ideas. They're never going to like my ideas. They're never going to welcome them. But I think knowing your audience, knowing your your environment, and being able to make sure that your ideas are in line with that audience and, and what they're going to um, value is, is key, right? So, and then being able to explain those ideas. I'm, I'm in a, a classic accounting firm, right? A hundred year old accounting firm for the most part. And we've got, you know, advisory and tax, all these other things, but you've got a lot of people that aren't thinking of new ideas all day, every day. And you come in here wanting to do accounting in the metaverse or whatever you come up with, you know, today. And, and it's, it's not something that you can be willy-nilly with. You really have to think about this specific idea. I want to vet as much as I can with my friendlies and, and my kind of my team, right? And then I want to put together a plan to take it forward. I'm not going to be throwing ideas up against a wall in a meeting unless it's specifically dedicated towards brainstorming. Yeah. So I guess I'm very aware of my environment, of the people in that environment, my audience. And I also am, am not one to back down if I, if I really truly have a passion or believe in something. So I very much recognize that you sometimes have to ship things. Um, we have a current product, it's, it's called this Financial Anomaly Detection Tool for taking your journal entries. You throw it in there and it pops up your top risks. Really useful tool for a lot of accounting uh, professionals, I believe. All right, but we just couldn't get it going. And what we did is we sat back and we said, okay, there's gotta be a better way to be able to offer this, to make it valuable. And what we came up with was marketing it in this realm of CFO day one, right? What's a CFO need? They may not need this anomaly detection all day, every day, but when they walk in a new organization, what would be really great? Would it be really great to be able to scan the, the system and understand what entries, where the errors are happening, what users are doing processes that are manual, being able to do all that with data that's a whole nother realm of being able to walk into a company and make a difference off the bat. So we were able to shift that idea into something that was more valuable for our customers. And so being adaptive, being, being able to recognize that need and then being able to call in the right people to help you do that is key. So I want to share about one of the services that, that I mentioned earlier, AI as a service. And when you first introduced it to the organization, I, I love the way that you brought it to us because it was March madness. And you said, hey, we're going to roll out AI as a service and let's take this capability and apply it towards uh, the metadata that we have on all the teams that's available out there and see if we can predict who the winners are going to be through the, the ladder and that type of stuff. And I was really, I thought that was a really cool way to get all of us involved in a new area of technology that was new. Uh, but I, I liked when I talked to you and you could give me practical examples, you know, as my role overseeing marketing, I'm thinking about how am I going to bring this service to market? And you're saying, well, you know, enlist one customer. Um, getting donors is really important. And if we can help them figure out where their next donors are going to be, uh, you know, applying AI to, towards business growth um, or using data tools, like you said, to do uh, forensics and that type of stuff. And I, I was talking to a CMO this morning, very, very large payroll company, 
if not the largest in the United States. And one of the things I asked her around, how's everything going with her group? She's really looking for innovation. It's, you know, know your audience that as a chief marketing officer, she's never happy with her heels on the ground and just doing what had done different. In fact, if it wasn't for her, this company wouldn't have embraced digital as they had. They were more the traditional sales army type of business development as opposed to using marketing to drive pipeline and to drive. So she was a big innovator and, and change agent. And so now that she's checked all the boxes of, you know, we've got our marketing automation system and our CRM dialed in, we've got some MarTech tools, we've got some sales tech tools, we're doing lead scoring, we're doing lead nurturing, we're doing some account-based marketing, check, 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 all the important modern things that you should be doing in demand generation and marketing these days. Her question to me is, what next? You, you're a active member. Are, are you, are you leading the women in technology group these days? Yes. Yeah, so for BDO digital, I lead the women's inclusion. I didn't know if that baton had officially been passed. I thought it had actually today. Yes. Oh, well, congratulations. <laughs> That's awesome. So my, my daughter just won an award because I, I want to share this with, I guess, I guess the women that are li listening. My daughter just won an award for innovation. It's her first marketing award, which is awesome. Proud, proud dad moment. Yeah. And I love that it was for innovation, which ironically is just the topic that we are talking about. And I've had her on the podcast. We did her her first year in marketing, kind of a recap of what that first year is like. And now she's she's past that and and, and an award winner. And what I what I thought about was how did she present the idea that that she brought to the marketing team, which required not only technology, but investment and budget for doing those things and i was thinking back you know coaching moments as a father i would say to both of my daughters because i don't have any sons in fact i'm gonna when i'm a grandpa it's, it, we know it's going to be a granddaughter so that that the, the, the trend continues i would say make sure when you suggest something that you don't pitch up your voice at the end of it because you know women have a tendency to do that i don't know if more than men but it's definitely called out from a neuroscience perspective that if you go, maybe we should bring in AI as a service. It sounds more like a question than we should bring in AI as a service. That's something we should start offering. And I, I, I'm really, as a member of the Women in Technology Task Force, some of the things I'm looking for in what we're sharing and, and teaching and mentoring are some of those practical uh, skills. But if you have any expertise that you want to share to the women listening on the on the podcast, um, please bring it forward. Yeah, I mean, in the women's inclusion group, we do a lot of not only educating women on and, and making suggestions around things that they can do differently, like not asking things in a question or not using the word just, but also really focus on helping the men in be more inclusive and be more supportive and enabling. There's a lot of things that I, I think men just don't know to even do. And before we go to an internal conference, we have a, a pre-session as part of that session. One of the things we tell the guys is make an effort to take the notes at the table, right? Mm -hmm. Try not to ask a woman to take the notes. And I guarantee if you watch this, it's all day, every day. And it's kind of just a, a classic thing that we've all come, become accustomed to. But we tell the women, don't take the notes. And we tell the men, try to do that instead, right? Because that gives women the ability to think and you're not worried about taking every note you're not worried about presenting back to the group when they call on the group you actually have the time to contribute and that's that's a lot of what women need right they need this enablement 
of time and ability to think and to contribute the value they have. And yeah. it's, it's all there. It's just, you don't always have the, the environment to be able to provide it. Right. It's great advice. You, and you did share that before the conference. So I, I distinctly yeah. remember you bringing that, bringing that up when you've come up with an idea and hasn't succeeded, how do you, how do you close it out and move past, uh, any tips on, I don't want to say saving face, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, how do you, we, we believe in accountability here. We know that's one of our core values. So how do you take accountability for a misstep? I think it was Musk that talked about like when one of the, one of the rockets crashed and he goes, okay, so now we learned that's not the way to land it, you know, and, and spun it in a nice, nice way, but an accurate way is that that didn't work. So we're going to, we're going to try again. You know, I've always struggled with the fail fast, fail, fail forward. I mean, it's fun to say, and it's a nice idea and, you know, great. I, I want to do that too, but it's just not realistically easy in any way, right? There's, there's no way to fail forward easily. It is an ego hit. It is, there is some kind of backtracking on maybe promises you made or things that, you know, you were kind of pushing the team towards. And now that you've kind of wasted that time. And there's, I think what I've found to me the most useful is having a process defined around how to fail forward, right? So what, what does that actually look like? So if I'm going to fail forward, let's say I've invested, we had one recent one, we invested a lot of time and a lot of different people in building something that we ended up not being able to take to market. And now I have to go back and say, okay, that, you know, money that we invested, that money that we estimated, all of these, this time that we put in all these people that we promised that we were going to bring this product out, we have to go back and, and kind of take all that back. But there was a process for doing that. Mm -hmm. There was a, okay, you know, under a certain threshold, it's okay. There is a budget for that. We expect that to happen. Now, I don't need 10 of those to happen in the next couple months, but I can afford for one or two to happen. And that's expected, right? So there's not this, I have to go apologize to management because this failed. I don't have that fear or that need to, to feel like I got to make a, an excuse for it. Right. Yeah. So having that process is really key. I mean, be, I think being real about it too, that it's not easy is key. A lot of people say it, but it, it is very difficult um, to, to do. How do you, I, I listening to you, maybe I, I think I have a small difference of opinion, which is I'm a little bit more comfortable with failing. It just depends on the magnitude of it, right? Yeah. How much was the investment? How many people were involved? Um, what I do find is if you take accountability for it, if you express what you learned from it as to why it didn't work or didn't hit expectations, it's a lot better <laughs> than just, well, that didn't work. Uh, of course. We lost a million dollars on on that and that didn't work. And I, I rolling things out as a pilot, just that word can really be such a disarmor for people to say, we think we're going to go in this direction. We feel very confident about it, but we're going to launch it as a pilot, see what we learn from and that type of stuff. So you're still launching the initiative, but you're, you know, qualifying it as a pilot, which is not. And I think that's important, especially when there's new technology you're bringing in to an organization, that's an often good time to say, we're gonna pilot this uh, technology, or if you're changing a process to pilot that and start it with a with a group. It's also a way to get actually buy-in because if you roll something out to a select group, it creates actually FOMO by the other groups and they want to embrace it some more. So that can be a good technique wow. rather than pushing something on on everybody as well. Yeah, and within, within our digital labs process, we have a lot of gates too. So I think that's really important. You give yourself the ability to fail 
quickly, right? So, so we have an ideation process. And within that ideation process, there are three different gates where we make a decision to move forward or not. So you're giving yourself the ability to be fed more information at the right time and to be able to give yourself that out immediately, right? You yeah. don't have to take it six months in before you think about whether it's a go or no go. So more of those gates has, has been really helpful for us as well. Yeah. What are your thoughts on celebrating some of those fails? Oh, yeah. That, you know, talking about them and making that more real, more comfortable is really interesting. I think one of the, the most fun things we do is around brainstorming. We're trying to come up with a new idea. And we always, to, to get people to come up with the wildest, craziest, probably most likely fails they, they can come up with, we always say, what would you not do? If you wanted to do this, what would you never do? And mm -hmm. they come up with the best ideas, right? Now, granted, you got to take them back sometimes, but that's where you want to be. Yeah. And then if you've, you've already addressed the worst of what you know could happen or could be, and you've already brainstormed through that, that awareness just really helps you get through that. Yeah. I, I feel it's a welcoming part of the process to take the lunch, let's punch holes in the idea um, session. Well, if we have an offsite or just brainstorming a new marketing campaign or program, we will take a time and say, okay, let's punch holes in the idea. Let's talk about why it's going to fail and that, because that contingency planning is, is really helpful as well. What, what you might do and some really good ideas to actually improve upon the idea come from the discussion of why it's not going to succeed or fail. And, you know, if you're doing a physical event in marketing, that's a, there's a lot of spotlight on a physical event, budget wise, resource wise, people are there. It's the most visible form of marketing. And if you don't get butts in seats, that can be a real ouch. I remember uh, my very first multi-day conference that I ever planned uh, with a team and put together, we were well over budget. I didn't know back then that that's kind of commonplace for large events that you go over budget. So it changed my budgeting process you know, going forward, especially when it's your first event. Um, the event was very successful and we, years later spent more and more and more on it but i remember walking into the debrief and feeling like the cfo was just going to have my butt for going so far over budget but when we had the roi metrics um we could tell a, a compelling story from it so that was that was equally important i want to wrap with talking about like generalist versus specialist because you wear a lot of hats at bdo you have taken on many different responsibilities throughout your career and I want to get your thoughts about whether career advice wise, is it better to be a generalist, to be, to know a little about a lot, uh, or is it better to know a lot about, you know, less? Yeah, I, th I think I would say, I think that's best to go with what your personality goes with, right? So for me, I'm, I'm much better and a little bit of everything. And that's because ideas can come from a lot of different places. And my skill, my ability is pulling those things together, pulling and connecting dots from all over the place. Mm -hmm. If I know enough about tax incentives and I know just enough about, you know, Marketo, or if I know, you know, enough about this new technology and I can pull all that together, that's, that's where my value is. I don't need to be a complete expert in any of those areas and get to the details to be able to be valuable. But I did back when I was, you know, and then the last 10, 15 years of my career, I had to be specialist in, in certain areas. So I think the biggest thing, the biggest skill that's needed right now is just the ability to adapt, especially if you're in the world technology, you, you can go deep in all kinds of different areas, but tomorrow it's going to be something new. And that ability to self-teach, self-motivate, um, and, and to drive yourself into new areas 
no matter how deep your current career requires you to go, that's going to be the skill set that's going to take you far. Yeah. Um, I thought that'd be our last topic, but I want to bring up a word that you mentioned earlier because it's it's on the horizon or it's here, depending on what you you know. This this was the week that Meta introduced the new um, Quest Pro, and mm-hmm. it's been met certainly with mixed results. I think this is also the week that I've seen. Uh, a leak that Apple is announcing in January of 2023, their VR slash AR headset. You mentioned the metaverse earlier. Mm-hmm. Should we in business, if we're not already looking at this, be looking at metaverse technologies? Yeah, I mean, I am, I'm an early adopter, right? So I love anything to do with the metaverse. I work out the metaverse. I, you know, I, I have things that um, I've kind of naturally adjusted to my real work, my real life kind of like have started using pieces of that meditation. I think there's just something so exciting about the fact that, you know, I lived in Chicago for 10 years when it was the dead of winter, all you wanted to do was be on a beach just for your mental state. Right. And now I imagine you can go into the metaverse, you can be in virtual reality and you can literally trick your brain into thinking you're on a beach and how, what could that do for mental health, right? Just something as simple as that. So I know there's a lot of concern about this world and we're going to be a bunch of avatars walking around and, and yes, there's some silly uses of it, but there's also, I think some things that could be extremely valuable. And one of the things that I'm, we've been testing out right now is I travel a lot and I'd love nothing more than to kind of feel like I'm at home with my family. Right. And so we have an Oculus and we have a 360 camera. We've been trying to figure out, can I live stream from the, the 360 camera in my home to my Oculus when I'm in another city and kind of be there for dinner, be able to see what the conversation is, be able to hear what's happening, kind of feel like I'm back at home for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing is, is now accessible and doable with a couple of devices, right, that we all can have access to. So I think it's definitely going to change the world. And I love things that change the world. So. Yeah. I'm a really big fan of what's happening in virtual production um, and the 3D technology there. The Fox, NFL Fox, uh, their shows now is completely produced in a virtual studio. So they're not using green screens anymore. They're using very advanced technology. Uh, and it's it's really cool. And I you know, I think if if you know they're the content people and the producers are putting their actors, you know, air quotes in that environment. Um we in marketing or in business need to think about creating experiences for our employees and for our customers and for our partners uh, in these environments. And, you know, if is, is it here now? Is it a year away, two years away? I think without question, as you're doing, everybody should be digesting some content around the hardware and the software and watching how companies are applying it already. The very early adopters, some really neat concerts that have taken place uh, in the metaverse. Now, I'm not a big fan of NFTs and 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 the hype around that type of stuff, but I am a fan of engaging experiences. And I, I think the technology that enables people to engage and communicate, uh, even if there are some mental health benefits and there are going to be some mental health risks, for sure, from it, it's important to take a look at. Well, Kirsty, thank you for joining me on Demand Gen Radio and Demand Gen TV. I uh, really appreciate uh, you know, having a new colleague like yourself where, you know, you are so innovative and, and bringing new ideas and new challenges. I think your call to action on stage was to uh, bring your wildest ideas to you because you love to have a new challenge and to figure out technology to do it. And 
it's a wonderful time in marketing. I mean, if you are in marketing, you have thousands of technologies to take a look at and think about how to apply to to the business. And it's it's fun. My group loves helping our customers with the use and adoption of those of those technologies. But that's just in marketing. It's happening everywhere, right? Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right. Stick around. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Demand Gen Radio. If you are not checking out the YouTube channel, uh, that's demandgen.tv or just search Demand Gen on YouTube. And it uh, don't forget to hit subscribe if you have not already. About 60% of you watch the content and are not subscribed. So it'd be cool if a few more of you uh, we're able to get those regular notifications when we produce content. We've got some new technology demos coming up for the YouTube channel. So if you like seeing demos of new tech, ABM tech, and other marketing and sales technology, that's the place to do that. Although we do put these um, podcasts up there as well. But the podcast is available to you on all the top podcasting uh, programs, wherever you'd like to get that form of content. And then last but not least, I'd love to hear from you guys. If there's a topic or thing that you'd like us to cover um, feel free to drop me a note on LinkedIn. Love hearing from you guys. But that is going to do it for this episode. We'll catch you guys on the next one. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. <laughs>